0: Thank you. Good morning. You know what I loved? In the first song, there were five of you, and then it was a miracle. Anyway, it's so good to be with you. Um, yes, a puller. I'm going to need, like, all of these things as props, and then I'm going to need four incredible volunteers to, yeah, they must face forward. Um, so, so don't worry, it won't be a painful experience. Uh, <laughs> Not volunteering. Here we go. Uh, yesterday, whilst they're putting this out, yesterday I was doing a wedding. And uh, Keith Bester, some of you remember him, he, his brother Mark Bester was getting married. So it was a fantastic wedding, lovely people. And um, have a good look. Okay, back. Uh, and uh, anyway, I, I'm doing this wedding, and she is looking so incredible. He looks okay. And uh, as I'm, d- I'm doing the wedding, I'm thinking to myself, how do I take this best day of their lives and set them up in one 10-minute wedding spiel? Because let's face it, marriage is easy. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just, you just float on clouds your whole life in marriage. And, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, how do I describe to him what I've gone through without putting a down on this whole day? Because, because, let's face it, you go through the one-year like marriage bump, some people go through the bump, some, for some people it's more like a cliff. But it, it just, it's a little bit hard, and then seven years, they talk about the seven-year itch, and then 14 years, they talk about scabies. And, and you go through these things, and, um, and I, I was thinking about it, because I, I went through the seven-year itch. And uh, there is a day, and you're going to get sad then happy. Okay? So there is a day where you look at your spouse somewhere down the line in marriage. You look at your spouse and you go, "I did not marry that person." (laughs) Yes. Look, all the older people, all the younger people. Yeah. Of course you didn't. They grew to become a different person. But when you realise that, it's it's like death to the soul. And then, then you go through this process of pretending you're in love, but you're not in love, you're in pain. Oh, don't, just be honest. And if you're not yet married, keep dating, it gets better. And, and anyway, then you go through marriage. And, and I was thinking about my story, because last night I lived in two promises of God. We were putting in floorboards in my new house, um, which, which is a promise of God. God promised me, you build me my house and I will help you build your house. And, and I didn't have the finances because I'd spent all the finances on fixing my marriage. And so i I, I took, taken those, my deposit for the house and spent it and somehow God just came through and gave us a home. Incredible story with about 20 mates coming on sides and helping me put the home together. Anyway, I'm, I'm standing there knocking in floorboards with my wife. In fact, I still have sawdust. It's gone all the way into my emotions. If I sneeze, <laughs> it might come out on you. But And I'm looking at this woman, and and I'm going, I am more in love with you today than I have ever been. You are incredible, and I can't thank God enough for our marriage. Now, in order to get there, I had to hold on for dear life to these weird promises that I could find in Scripture, and these promises people were giving me that, hey, Ross, it's going to get better And when you look back, you're going to look back and go, thank you, God, for this marriage because you will have grown and she would have grown and it will be beautiful. Now, when you're in the pain, that promise is just a pain. But if you hold on to it, there is a day where you wake up and you go, I got crushed, but this wine is good. I want to preach to you today about not giving up. The, the whole message through Romans 4 today is about don't give up. And so that's where we're going to go. But before I get there, I need to give you a little refresher on Romans 1, 2, and 3. Because I'm sure Paul did an amazing job, but I'm going to do a different job. And I need four volunteers. Quick, quick, quick. Paul, you're one. You're going to be the judge because you're long. Bru, come. Okay, you can be the heathen. Come, bud. Put. You're in the front. Yeah, yeah, you're just the last person. Okay, now hold your signs in front of you. Hold your signs in front of you. Okay, here's what Romans does. It's basically Paul coming as a prosecutor to prosecute all these people before the judge. God. God. And he comes in, in Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to fly through this because it helps with context for where I'm going. He comes to the heathen, and the heathen is the guy who goes, there is no God, I don't believe anything. He comes to the heathen, and he says this in Romans 1, 19, 20, he says, They know the truth about God, you know the truth, because he has made it obvious to them, how did he make it obvious? I'll tell you in a moment. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can see clearly his invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So that's, what, that's, how, they come to, that's how Paul comes to the heathen. And he and goes, there are kind of three reasons that you are convicted. The first one is your conscience. So when we're arguing about why people should believe, your conscience, how did that thing get there? You go, because you were made in the image of God, so there's something inside of you spiritually that he inserted into you that helps you know right from wrong. The second reason, and, and if you're looking for for big words, because big words always help when people are getting into a Bible conversation. You know, I'm a pastor, and and so some people just want a Bible fight. You just throw a few big words, they have to go up and go look in the dictionary, and the, the conversation ends quickly. Anyway, there are a couple of them. There's a teleological reason. What that means is a reason from design. And so the concept is this. If you see patterns that reveal intelligence in design, then you know there must be an intelligent designer. And everywhere you look, there is intelligent design. Then there's an ontological reason. So, condemned. Then there's an ontological re- reason, which means in existence. If it's in existence. So let me give you a couple of examples. We get hungry because we need to eat. It exists in us for a reason. We need to eat. We, we experience fear. Why? Why? Because there exists stuff that could hurt us. There's a third reason. We, we desire sex. Because, because, so that we can reproduce. And everywhere you go in the world, you will find people who worship. It might not be Jesus, but there are people who worship. Why? It exists because God put it in us because there's someone to worship. Okay, so he deals with that dude and goes... You can't say there's no God. Then he comes after the moral man. The moral man's the guy who goes, yeah, I might be bad, or I'm really actually quite good, and I'm not nearly as bad as this, oak." And so if God was to kind of judge me, he should judge me as a really good guy. And did you see how I walked onto whatever her name is, across the road. Like, I, I am actually not that bad. And Paul comes to him, and he says in Romans one twenty-one, Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Here's what he's saying. This guy makes up who God is, doesn't take him from Scripture. He makes up how his standard should be, and he, he kind of goes, God, you should be more like me, and if you were more like me, then you would judge me as a good guy. And Paul goes... God doesn't judge like that. He's 100% holy, and he requires 100% holiness. So you need Jesus, and you need Jesus. And then he comes after the religious man, and he hits him so hard in Romans 2. He finally, I'll just use the last verse, he finally hits him with, for all have sinned and fall short to the glory of God. And basically, if you have sinned, then you need Jesus. So he comes before them, chapters 1, 2, and 3, and just smacks, one, two, three. Everyone needs Jesus. Judge, condemn. Okay, so that's how it works. Romans 1, 2, and 3. Now, I need two of you to stay behind. Bru, you're staying. And uh, you two can go. And it's just nice having you around. Okay. I want to go into Romans 4. Uh, we, we could have got some... Yeah, you just look pretty been nice if we've got some ladies anyway romans 4 it starts uh, i i never do this but about three or four weeks ago i actually preached a fairly decent sermon on romans verse uh, 4 verse 1 to 9 and if you enjoy today that will make today even richer so i encourage you to do that but from romans 4 verse 9 to 13 it speaks on circumcision so we're going to use the next 30 minutes to talk about circum... No, I'm joking. Okay, I'm going to skip through to verse 13. Yeah, they were feeling very uncomfortable, but how this sermon was going to go. Uh, here we go. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. So, so here's, here's the context. Paul's writing... To Jews who are now going to a mostly Roman church. And he's helping them to understand faith, how they fit in. He's writing to Romans. To help them understand the concepts of faith and how to understand the Jews and how they're thinking, so so that's what's going on. And he starts with this. He goes, "Now Abraham didn't receive anything by his obedience to the law. He he received it by faith." And the Jews listening would have gone, "Yeah, that's right, because the law wasn't written." And not only that, by the time Abraham received the promise, which was Isaac, he had God had only asked him to do two things. One was move. And the second one was circumcision, and circumcision, by the way, circumcision was evidence that he was righteous. It wasn't not a, it wasn't a method to get righteous. So, so this is what Paul's speaking about. And here's what he's saying: He, he says it was given to uh, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abram and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. Here's what he's saying: You will either get God's promises because you live 100% right before God every day, all the time, you are Jesus. Or you will receive it by faith in Jesus. Here's what it's saying. The grace of God in your life is the result of who you know, not what you do. It's the result of your relationship with Jesus. Right relationship that comes by faith. And then it says, If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. He's he's drumming this in. He wants them to understand this. You either do this thing by faith or you do it by 100% obedience. And you can't do it by a little bit of both. It's either all I get from God because I trust Him or it's all I get from God because I earn it. Now I'm laboring the point because I'm going to go somewhere. For the law, it says, always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. You've got to go, how on earth can we have no law to break? How would that happen? So glad you asked. This is what the gospel does. You need to kind of hold three. I don't know how you can do it, Brew. There we go. This is what the gospel does. It says, All have fallen short of the glory of God and need Christ. And Christ has come in and been punished for all who believe in him. Okay, There is a law called the law of double jeopardy. You would have seen movies on it. Um, The law of double jeopardy basically it says this, it actually comes from Deuteronomy 25 and then it kind of works through all cultures and all systems and and it's there to protect people from being accused again and again and again. So for example if um, if you were accused for murdering your neighbor and you stood trial and they couldn't find a murder weapon so you were acquitted And then, five years later, they found the murder weapon, but the murderer had actually wiped off the prints and put it into your garage, and they found it in your garage. They are not able to try you again for murder, which is why they try people for completely different things. And the reason they do that is so that a person isn't in jeopardy of spending his whole life in court. That's what's going on. It's to protect the person. So here's the deal. You can only be tried once for a certain crime. Okay. All men who put their faith in Jesus are putting their faith in the one who was punished for all sin for all time. The reason there is no law over their lives is because all law has been punished And if all law has been punished, then the law of double jeopardy says that they cannot be punished in Jesus' body and then punished in their own body for what Jesus has been punished for. Does it make sense? Now that concept should terrify you. Because if all law has been punished in Jesus' body and it's not going to get punished in my body then what is holding me from just going off and being wild? Again, I'm so glad you asked. Why don't you give these beautiful people a hand? Thank you, Paul. You are incredible. <laughs> Here's how he goes. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it We are all certain to receive it. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, whether or not we are obedient, if we have faith like Abraham's... Here's where I'm going. Faith is the thing that should define who you are. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. This is what it's saying. If I believe in Jesus, then I am similar to Abraham. I get Abraham's DNA. And if I have someone's DNA, then when they die, I get the will that they write. Okay? So if I believe, like Abraham does, the scripture is saying, then I'm like him, I'm his his son. And if I'm his son, I have access to all the promises. This is super, super important. I um, I was moving... I've been moving for the last long time. But I was moving last weekend, and uh, I asked Chris Ndalo, um, Luto, and Kanye, his brother, to help me move. And Chris, who's actually here, they're, they're helping out with the kids' church. Chris is a comedian. They're some of the nicest kids I actually know. And uh, Chris is, is like stand-up com- comedy. He's funny all the time. So here, here we are, one white guy and four black guys in a Hilux. And Chris starts making jokes about what's going on in this in Hilux. This and it's, it's one hijacking joke after the next. And then, and then as you're getting out, he, he starts ripping off the Indian guy who's driving past. And, and he, he's ripping off what's going on in his head. But Chris can do accents. So Chris is going, hey, man, we must watch out for that, that white owl and all. And, and he's going for it. And then he's, he's saying, Hey, boys. Put your back into it. And he's using Afrikaans. And he's ripping off one guy after the next, after the next. And I'm listening to this, and I'm almost crying with laughter. And what I'm realizing as he's ripping people off is he's not ripping them off about their color. He's ripping them off about their behaviors that link them together. In fact, this is going to go somewhere. In fact, when we went to, the deal was, they helped me move, I buy them KFC. It was just... uh, no prototype. Anyway, so we go have KFC, and um, and the KFC is taking a very long time. So I get up, and Lutz goes, No, 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 Ross. And because I've watched Trevor, no, I know. He's looking at me, and he's going, You're white, so you're going to complain. So I said, Lutz, I'm not going to complain. Uh, I'm just going to ask where it's at. Anyway, it, eventually it came. And you know KFC? It's basically oil, salt, and some meat. And so, so I'm like... Eat this stuff as fast as you can. Just get it out your system. But Lutz had told me before, he said, Ross, you've got to understand that KFC for a black guy is like sushi for a white guy. And I witnessed it. Because when that KFC arrived, there was just silence. They laid it out and they ate it, particularly, and slowly. I mean, I'd wolfed the stuff down. They just ate it, slowly. And I was like, guys, can we go? They were eating, enjoying every mouthful. And I thought to myself, two things. If a black guy rips you off, you stay ripped off. Like, it will, it will ruin you. But the second thing, I, I just realized, when you start to look at people based on their behaviors, you start to uh, clump them into an identity, The early Christians for the first 11 years were clumped into an identity called believers. In Acts 1, verses something, it says that the believers, 120 of them, were gathered together. In Acts 2, 42, it says the believers shared meals, they prayed together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Acts 4, the believers of one heart and mind. Acts 5, Acts 6. Again and again, it says the believers. It refers to them as believers because some guy was looking at how they behaved and noticed that on Sunday they did this. And then when they hit troubles, they would pray. And, and, and he noticed again and again and again they were acting in a certain way that helped him go, oh, that must be a believer. That must be a believer. Now, here's why this is so important. Because you are made to act out your identity. Here's how this works. If if you want to have a lifestyle of health, you want to be a healthy, physical person, then you will start a practice of running or surfing or gym. And the way you'll generally start the practice is you'll phone up a buddy and say, I want to gym with you. you get a gym buddy. And then you'll go to gym. And you know what happens after that first day? Nothing. You're just sore. It sucks. And then, and then a few days later, you will go again. It will be more sore. It'll suck a little bit more. So, why do you keep going? Because your gym buddy phones you and says, You come to gym today. And then you'll go. And then, after, like, I don't know, 10, 11 times, you, there'll be a day where your gym buddy goes, I'm sorry, I'm in Joburg this week. Um, I can't make it to gym. And you will still go. You know what's just happened? The practice has become a habit. And if you keep going and keep going and keep going through the process, you will wake up one day and you'll look at your body and you'll go, if you're a guy, you'll go, I don't know how she resists me. (laughs) And if you keep going and you keep going, you'll one day wake up and you'll have this thought, gym is just what I do. And when you pick up a 500 kg table with one arm, people look at you and go, he's a gym freak. And now, a practice has become a habit, which is a lifestyle that is informed by an identity. And once it's an identity, you don't have to think about going to gym. It just happens. As believers... We shouldn't have to think about what we do when financial crisis comes. It just happens that we praise God and give Him thanks. We shouldn't have to think about what we do on Sunday because it just happens that we gather together with our spiritual family. It, it shouldn't, it, we shouldn't have to think about how we behave when, we, when we're facing a relational conflict because it just happens that the Scripture says, come confront your brother and sister. It, we just behave... Out of an identity, that's what was going on in Acts. But the problem is, people give up. Here's how this works: Have you ever been to gym in the first week of January? You just can't get a machine anywhere. Have you been on the fifth week, like in February? It's just machines for days. You got to ask, what happened? This is what happened. Between the practice and the promise of a new body, the process knocked them off. Christians? Between the practice of being filled with the Holy Spirit and the promise of living in joy, there is a process of thanksgiving and praise. Between the practice of prayer... And the promise of living in no fear, there is a process of renewing your mind. And and what happens with Christians is somewhere down the line, they fall off this train. And I understand why. Because when you get a promise, it it is so good when you get a promise. When God says to you something like, I want you to tithe. And he gives you instruction on a practice. It is so good because you know that there's a promise and it's a beautiful promise. It's just when a year later after tithing, you're not seeing the promise. You start to go, ah. Or if, you, if you're single, but you have this desire for marriage in your heart. And, and it feels like God's stirring that desire for marriage. It's so wonderful when that happens. But then 10 years later and you're still single. You start to go, "Hmm." and these are the words I hear Christians say the whole time. I don't know if God works for me. I don't know if Christianity works, especially in millennials. I'm hearing it again and again. I don't know if this Christianity thing is for me. What's going on is there's a process that's knocking them off, which is why Abraham is so inspiring. So we're going to go to a verse that I think just, it blows me away. It's verse 17. It says, that is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I've made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. How many of you right now need God to bring the dead back to life and to create a new thing out of nothing? Even when there was no reason for hope, no reason, the guy was 100, his wife was 90-something, she was barren. He kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you all have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. I was reading that verse, and I went, the guy gets a promise like 20-something years ago that he'll have kids. And it just gets worse. Now it's... 25 or whatever years later, and his faith for kids is greater than it was back there. How on earth did that happen? Because that does not happen with us. And I started thinking about his life. And you start to realize that everything in Abraham's life was a, was a process. God promises him wealth. You know, he saw wealth happen. He saw that bull get onto that car. And a few months later, a calf was born. And then he watched the next year, and that bull got into that car, and another calf was born. And he watched this process again and again, and then he probably traded a couple of cows for bulls. And and the next thing, those bulls were getting onto those cows. And one day he woke up, and he just had cattle for days, and he had sheep for days. And the process was kicking in, and then he was living in God's wealth. You know, he traveled around. And so as a farmer, what he would have done is he would have planted seeds into soil. And then he would have gone to the next space. And when he came back, the seed would have sprouted. What would have happened is that he probably would have watered it a little. And he would have waited and watered and waited and seen nothing and watered and waited. And one day, when the moisture content was just right and the sun was in the right space and the temperature was just right, that seed would have germinated. And you know what he would have seen of the seed? nothing and he would have walked away knowing that somewhere down the line that seed would germinate see the thing about the promises of God is that most of the time they're concealed in the ground of our hearts and the only thing we can do about them is weed and water water with scripture and weed out the gumph, the unbelief the whole deal is that Abraham knew that God's word will never return to him void. And so if God put the promise into his heart, it could be year 25, but he was one day closer to the promise coming about than he was yesterday. His whole attitude was, if it starts, it's going to come about. Man, this seed is taking a long time, but I'm one day closer. I'm one day closer. And his whole focus was on God and not his pain. His whole focus was in the promise coming about. And he he lived in faith and I want to say to you guys don't give up Some of you, you're in an addiction. I want to say this. There's a seed of purity that God has put into your heart, and you're one day closer to it germinating. Weed and feed. Weed and feed. There's some of you, you're looking at your business going, this is impossible. And I want to say, God has put a promise of financial provision into your heart, and you are one day closer. Weed and feed. Weed and feed. God is going to rise up some dead stuff in your lives if you will keep believing the promise, the thing you have to repent for is the hard heart. But know this, if God is able to bring dead things back to life and create something out of nothing, he can take that hard heart of yours that's been bashed by a whacker and he can make that seed germinate. And so I want to end this sermon by doing something a little different. I'm going to ask that you come up and well done. You were a band all to itself. And we're going to sing a song of praise. And during this song, I'm asking God to do something amazing. I'm going to ask that he takes dead dreams that you've given up on and he brings them back to life. And I'm going to ask that he puts new seed into, heart to, into your hearts to give you a hope for tomorrow. Can we stand? If you really need what i am been preaching about, why don't you just, can, can the rest of us just close our eyes for a moment, why don't you just lift your hands? Some of you like hands right up. Okay, that's that's about half this room. And as the others think about it, you'll start to realize that there are so many promises in your life that you're not seeing and you want to see them. So Jesus, I just pray that you do an amazing thing, that by your spirit you speak to their spirits and you make their spirits come alive, that hardness gets broken off. Hardness for faith for kids, hardness for faith financially, hardness for faith for your family, your friends. God, I ask that you break it off. Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, just come into this room, flood through people, renew them. Now what we're going to do is we're going to respond in the opposite spirit. We're going to praise God in this moment. Not seeing, but expecting. And as you make this a practice that becomes a habit, that becomes a lifestyle, it will shape your identity. Let's let's praise together.